minutes or less film fest my name is sam clements and this is the podcast that celebrates films of a 90 minute or less runtime in each episode a guest will select a film and join me to add to our ongoing fictional film festival today we are joined by fellow podcaster cultural writer and author karen hahn Welcome to the show, Karen. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to talk about a sub 90 minute movie because I do, I mean, I think it's a Twitter joke at this point that it's like a movie has to be 90 minutes or less to be good, but it, it's like, it's it helps. I will say, speaking of 90 minute movies, um, as I was browsing various streaming platforms to watch something last night, I should clarify, this is not the movie that we're about to talk about, but it um, ha- happened upon the Haunted Mansion, the 2003 Haunted Mansion with Eddie Murphy. And I was like, oh, it's an hour and 29 minutes. I will watch this. Oh, <laughs> and wow. that's what I ended up watching. <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, you know, sometimes the runtime is enough if you know exactly how much time you have to play with do you do you often do that uh you know like okay i've got i'm in the mood for something a certain runtime or or actually yeah you know I, th- this runtime puts me off of watching that that movie right or if it's like you're starting a movie at, or it's like nine o'clock at night and it's like i know i want to be in bed by 11 <laughs> that means it has to be under two hours um, so that I can get everything done and then go to sleep. But that's definitely how I, I sort of decide what I'm going to watch. So speaking <laughs> to a, a kindred spirit there. Absolutely. I've just been listening to the Slate podcast working and you're oh, one of the co-hosts. thank you so much. How, how did that show come about? Um, that show was actually going for, I think, a couple years before I joined. Uh, oh, it actually launched at like right at the beginning of the pandemic. So I was not one of the original hosts. But I think it sort of was launched to fill a gap in Slate's cultural podcasting where it was like, yeah, we have podcasts like the Culture Gap Fest that talk about um, various like film and TV and other stuff, cultural stuff that's coming out. But this was definitely geared more, well... I wonder if I'm telling tales out of school now, like because I will admit that I didn't listen to the first iteration <laughs> of working and they re- rebooted it somewhat when I came on. But the current iteration is we interview um, various creative people like I've talked to the musician Ginger Root, like I've talked to people involved in movies and TV, like one of my friends who edited um who was an editor on Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal came on. So people from all walks of creative life uh, come on the show and talk about their process. Um, And we also sort of structure it like an advice podcast where it's like if you have questions about the creative process, like we will happily try to work through them on air and see if we can offer up anything that might be helpful. That's what I found so relatable about it. Just, you know, actually talking about the process, the processes that everybody goes through regardless of kind of what you're working on there's a certain mindset you need to be in to be creative you know to do a to do a, a job uh, like that and uh and yeah I, I sort of just found myself nodding along and and uh it's, it's sort of just like a nice you know it's like almost like podcast therapy just like okay this is a good i'm with some friendly people here yeah i mean i think there's a lot of stuff that we end up talking about repeatedly on the podcast and a lot of it tends to be stuff that's kind of common sense but that we especially if you come from a background where you have to worry about like money versus time where you can be kind of unkind to yourself where it's like no like take care of yourself first make sure you physically and like you personally are doing well before you like destroy yourself working be kind to yourself like be kind to others 
which is which doesn't feel like good working advice when you put it that way, but ultimately is, I think, anyway. I think when you're so like thick in something, whatever the project might be or whatever work you are doing, mm-hmm. sometimes you just forget to come up to air for air. And, uh, and yeah. I think sometimes, you know, just having someone say, it's okay to take a break is yeah. really nice. And, you know, yeah. it's nice to have that voice in my ears, <laughs> which is, you know, podcasting is such an intimate um, form of, of media, which is why I love it. Um, it sort of hits harder than, say, if I saw that on social media or something. Yeah, like, I <laughs> I feel like that was, we t- we've already talked a little bit about stuff that goes around on Twitter, but that was definitely like a big subsection of Twitter for a while where people were like, remember to have your drink of water, like, remember to be kind to yourself. And after a while, it was like, I don't want to see like these words <laughs> like just being thrown at me. It means a little more if, if someone is like literally saying it to you especially if they are a friend or i guess in podcast case like kind of parasocially a friend to you not literally although maybe mm-hmm. but you do have a, your fingers in a lot of pies <laughs> yeah <laughs> you wear many hats to, to throw metaphors around <laughs> um but i i first sort of came across your work i guess in in sort of uh you know film uh criticism uh film festival beats that sort of stuff are you are you still involved in uh you know the the new release beat yeah definitely not as much as i used to be because um about a year ago i gave up my staff position at slate where i was writing about film and tv on a pretty regular basis to sort of switch focuses i guess career-wise but i'm still definitely a movie buff like i love movies i love tv i love entertainment media that sounds like such a cold word but you know what i'm talking about and so i definitely like try to keep an eye on what's out there even if i'm not really covering it anymore because i i guess i'm sort of freelance culture writing at this point where i don't feel like i need to be pitching as much again because my like career focuses are slightly elsewhere um but I've had like editors that I've worked with and had a good relationship with when I was a freelancer, like reach out and ask if I want to take some assignments. And in that case, definitely. And it's not like I'm not going to go out and see the new Pak Chanuk movie, you know, <laughs> of course I'm going to go catch it. Um, so it's, it's definitely more a matter of time and like figuring out what, when, when things are coming out and when I can go to the theater to see them rather than like press screenings as much. Also, as we're talking, we're on the eve of your book coming out um yeah your book dedicated uh to director bong joon ho bong joon ho colon dissident cinema lovely title how how do you feel right now um you know I, you know the book is finished i'm like only now starting to freak out a little bit earlier this week i got a shipment the shipment of my personal author copies and they didn't tell me they were sending them i had no idea that they were on the way so when i saw the boxes outside and I saw that it was like from the publisher, I sort of had like a mini panic attack where I was like, oh, oh my God. And then when I opened the boxes and saw that my book was in there, it was an even bigger like shock. I was like, oh no, like it's real now. And it's so, so strange to see the physical copy and like be able to hold it as opposed to it just being something that I just sort of think about and have like as a cloud floating above my, floating above my head. Um, and I kind of just went numb for the rest of that day. And I still sort of feel like that. Um, it just feels very, very strange that something you've worked on for like a couple years is now like a physical object. It's really crazy to have it be material. Like I agree totally with what you said with a lot of like media criticism right now is just online. So I remember like when I was freelancing and stuff, the most exciting assignments would be when I knew it would somehow end up in print and I could see it in my hands. Um, and the same goes for this. And I will say, like, I get very nervous about my own writing. I, I feel like I'm pretty hard on my own writing. 
Um, so I'm nervous to reread the book. But the sort of good part about having the physical copy is that the design team at Little White Lies, who published this book in conjunction with Abrams, did such a beautiful job of laying out the book that just looking at it, like, I, I almost feel better where I was like, oh, like, at least someone else's work is really, really good in this book, even if someone, like, ends up hating my prose, which I hope is not the case. <laughs> um, but it looks really gorgeous. And I'm so, so appreciative of everything that they've done. It joins a really nice lineup of those uh, those books that the White Lies have been uh, have been making. It's an honor. Yeah. You've been living with this for, uh, for a few years now. What have you learned about Bong Joon-ho doing this process that maybe you didn't know before? Well, I actually wasn't really familiar with his shorts work at all prior to working on this book and I didn't know that he'd done any music videos so that was kind of a big realization Um, and I think I had definitely less biographical context for him as an artist like I had seen a lot of his movies I'd seen all of his movies prior to starting work on the book but I definitely hadn't I didn't necessarily know like everything about his growing up or his school experience or stuff like that Um, And so that was kind of one of the fun aspects of writing the book, where even in the each movie chapters, apart from the introduction, like I do have to do some research as to the context of the time the film is taking place, the context of like what Bong and his collaborators were thinking, like when they were putting it together. Um, And I will say, I think the movie that I have a renewed appreciation for is Snowpiercer. Because when it came out and I watched it, I remember feeling kind of ambivalent about it. Um, but then, like, going back through it, not uh, not in the context of just it as a film, but in the context of his works as a whole, like, where it falls in the director Bong timeline, I was sort of like, oh, I have a better understanding of, like, where it falls, what it's trying to do, and sort of, like, what I didn't appreciate the first time. Was it sort of, you know, tough to sort of whittle down what goes into the book and and, and what stays out of the book? Um, It sounds like you're gathering a lot of material for this. I think I was pretty lucky in the fact that the book is supposed to be pretty big. Like, it's a giant coffee table book. So I think there ultimately wasn't really that much that I left out, if at all. Like, everything could go in. There was space for all these extra bits. Like, we have... Um, a couple of spreads about, for instance, like designing the monster in the host and then designing Okja. And then also um, this is pre- this is present in some of the other Abrams and Little White Lies books as well, but like pages on the films and other artists that influenced Bong. So it, it was really fun to get to work on something that ended up being like so rich. I don't I don't mean, say that to like toot my own horn, but just there is a lot in there. And depending on what you're looking for, I'm sure that there's hopefully something in there for you. You very kindly sent me a, an early copy of the book, and uh, I think you're totally fine to toot your own horn. The book is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Sort of about your relationship with Bong. Do you, what was your first film um, of his that you'd watched? The first film of his that I watched was The Host. Um, and I remember I watched it on home media at home. Um, I was still living in Illinois at this point, and my dad is a big movie buff, and he used to really love to pay attention to that stuff. And I think he was the reason that we got the DVD in the first place. Um, But I remember that movie was so high impact and like borderline traumatized me while I was watching it, because I talk about this in the book and spoilers very briefly for anyone who hasn't seen the host, just mute this for like 30 seconds. But the scene where the grandfather dies was like horrible for me to watch, like so so impactful that like even now when I watch it and even now as I'm talking about it I'm tearing up like that was kind of where I was like oh wow like this movie has so much happening in it and he is so effective at 
drawing emotions out of his performers and also out of the audience like no matter how you cut and slice that movie it's so full of detail like nothing is done without a purpose we are in the host being our first bong film club uh, i was a <laughs> film student and our local sort of art house theater was playing the host and i didn't really know anything about the filmmaker or anyone who was in it it just looked cool you know it had yeah. that great poster the trailer was great yeah uh, i don't think i'd really seen much international you know sort of like genre stuff at that point and uh and yeah it sort of blew my mind and and yeah it was yeah. a firm a firm fan afterwards <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that was really the movie that i think blew him up for an international audience like memories of murder which is the film he did before that like did really well but kind of i think more critically than popularly necessarily like i think now memories of murder is definitely one that we talk about a lot but the host was really like his big international breakthrough and also again to spoil a tidbit for my book i think tilda swinton mentions that that was the first bong movie that she saw as well oh well this is a cool club (laughs) (laughs) as if we've got her then it's all good yeah so when i reached out about um you know coming on the podcast I knew very well and good that none of Bong Joon-ho's features are short enough to be covered <laughs> on the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. But uh, but how did you how did you uh, approach your homework and, and how did we settle on the film that we'll be talking about today? Well, Bong actually has like a pretty uh, he's like a handful of short films that he did, and I thought that would be fun to talk about because all the work that he did prior to his feature films, and well, a couple of them are made like post his feature debut, like still link pretty closely to like the ideas and themes that he explores in his feature work um so the one that i chose for this podcast am i allowed to say it let's do it let's do the big reveal okay (laughs) so the short that we're talking about for this episode is called incoherence um which came out in 1994 and is his third short film i think um yes his third one and i think if you watch it knowing him as a filmmaker you'll be like oh yeah i can totally see where this is coming from this is a very bong short film so normally we read the back of the dvd there is no dvd i don't think for this but i do have a a synopsis but i would also say the film is available online through multiple sort of streaming services i think the korean uh you know sort of cultural archives have put this on youtube so it is available so please pause the pod if you haven't seen the film go and watch the short it's like 30 minutes long and then come back and we'll have a nice chat together Three seemingly unrelated men commit petty crimes on the eve of an important televised discourse on social disorder in South Korea. I guess we can maybe sort of flesh it out a little bit. The film's presented in chapters. There's uh, four chapters, three numbered chapters and an epilogue, um, which I think, you know, considering this is a short film made whilst he's in film school, you know, quite sort of ballsy storytelling choices, which I I, I love. Yeah, Uh, It's got this lovely 16 millimeter sort of film grain look to it. And lots of location work, of course, because he's a student filmmaker. But I think that's meant that it's quite an interesting artifact to watch. Yeah, it's fun because, like, uh, number one, one of the fun things about Bong is he is a filmmaker who, like, keeps working with some of the f- same actors. So as you're watching his short work, like, if you if you go back and then rewatch his features, you'll be like, oh, yeah, like, that guy from that movie is in here and that guy. But again, like, all the themes are very similar. And you can also immediately tell that he's a guy with a sense of humor like his movies all of his movies are funny like to some degree or have these funny moments even if they end up being like kind of the most heartbreaking tragedy you've ever seen and his short work is no exception to the rule and if anything i feel like 
the format of a short film like gives him more license to be silly with what he's doing you can tell he's he's brimming with ideas um mm-hmm. but also you know he's got things to say why did you um why did you settle on incoherence over some of the other shorts from from around this sort of time i thought that this one was kind of like if i was going to sh- choose one of his shirts to recommend to anybody i thought i would choose this one just because it is kind of it's doing a lot and it has a little bit more polish than his earlier two short films and I think is kind of something that you can watch as a blueprint for the rest of his works um that said like there are some shorts that kind of are more directly linked to the stuff that he's doing for instance um the short that he did sink and rise feels kind of like it could be a prologue to the host and does a lot of the same things um that his other short films do in terms of theme and ideas of like people how people deal with each other when they're in different socioeconomic classes and how they um i guess demonstrate like their station so to speak uh but incoherence is i think is doing the most of that at one time (laughs) by virtue of having these three chapters and then this epilogue that really is so so funny in how it ties all the chapters together because I was watching this thinking, where is this going? Like, mm-hmm. I, I thought the um, the individual <laughs> bits were great. I think the first section is about the uh, the lecturer or the, the professor, um, and he's reading Penthouse in his office. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he sends, when he's in class, he sends someone up to uh, to collect some papers, and he realizes the magazine is on full display. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> um, and there's a bit of a chase sequence down the the corridors of the of the college, and uh, and, a, and a really dramatic ending where he throws a textbook on top of Penthouse house <laughs> to, to bar it from view yeah it's so funny and yet the segment is called cockroach specifically because like as he throws the book the student's like oh what's going on he's like oh I, I saw a cockroach to try to explain it away um but it's also set up so well where the short opens with this lecturer sort of fantasizing about touching one of his female students as it turns out where like he imagines himself like pulling down the shoulder of her sweater and immediately it's like oh this guy's a creep (laughs) (laughs) and then it's it's that student who who goes up to like get the papers that he says he forgot in his desk um which which makes it like all the more kind of ironic at the end it's honestly really impressive, like the way that he built the story, I think, for this short. Um, and it's also really interesting to see the ways that he plays around with format, because the short pri- the short that he created prior to this one is actually has basically no dialogue and ha- kind of only takes place in two locations, as opposed to this one where it's like really sprawling and connecting a lot of disparate threads. That short is just focusing on one idea. And to a certain extent, his first short, uh, called white man about like white collar man basically not about like an american or something um it's kind of doing the same thing as the second short where it is it kind of has like one idea and sort of bores into that but in this case he is kind of blowing up the format and showing us more in service of his ultimate thesis which we will get to i think you can tell he's it's really interesting to hear that he's sort of you can see him, him working up you know to something a bit uh, more ambitious you know going from those two shorts to this he made all of these films in the same year as well which again you know it's a lot of work goes into making any type of film it, you know, it's, yeah it, as well as you know shorts um so that's uh you know, really impressive but um but he's obviously you know he's putting a lot of his thoughts into this film there's a lot of observations there's a lot of you know clearly his sort of you know musings on society and whatever was going on around him in 1994 is sort of fed into this story yeah i mean he's talked a lot about 
about being a protester when he was a student, like because the time that he was in college was a time of a lot of very great political upheaval in Korea. So there was a lot of kind of rebelling against authority, like and just trying to figure out like what to do about systems in place that weren't necessarily working or were corrupt to some degree, which you can also see a little bit of in Memories of Murder. Like, yeah, the primary focus in that movie is... Um, the murder mystery, but all the stuff happening in the background really hints at the stuff that Korea was going through at the time um, with kind of the birth of democracy in the country. Um, and I guess like if we want to keep talking about uh, Incoherence as a short film, we should maybe spoil the epilogue. Yeah. Uh, yes, no, we should. We should. So uh, so we know it sort of there's these sort of petty crimes. The first uh, man uh, is, is you know, reading porn and fantasizing about his students whilst at work. The second one is a man who steals a newspaper and milk and places the blame on an innocent newspaper delivery boy, which I love. I think, you know, in terms of that sequence, that scene on the steps with the guy and then the delivery boy and then the, the woman coming out of the house and blaming the boy. I, I thought that whole scene, because it's like it's a single take and lots of stuff happens on and off frame. And yeah. I, I really I just thought that was it was so simple and, and said a lot. Um so that was great, and uh, and I think Bong Joon Ho has a brief cameo in that section in the in the epilogue. Oh, does. in the epilogue, sorry, yes. And then the third one is uh, you know a drunken man going to the toilet where he shouldn't <laughs> yeah. after a night out. Uh, but then it all sort of comes together with this um, sort of filmed television set in uh, in an apartment. Yeah. So the epilogue, you see like the paper boy from the second uh, section, like at home, like watching TV, and it's this uh, sort of round table between three respected figures in society so to or quote unquote and it turns out that it's these three guys that we've seen being total assholes like in the short films and for instance like the professor is talking about like oh like i'm so glad that penthouse got banned and pornography like shit is bad even though we see him reading the magazine they're all hypocrites ultimately because they're all talking about how to uphold these moral standards and these kind of very conservative views even though they themselves are not adhering to it I feel like Bong's shining just a light on the hypocrisy he's seeing around him. Maybe at school, he's at the um, Korean Academy of Film Arts at the time, or just in society in general. Um, and uh, yeah, it feels like a really interesting way to kind of show up the establishment in, in, in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny to sort of say, basically saying like, you shouldn't 100% trust like the people in positions of authority because the other part of the epilogue is seeing basically the secondary characters in each of the shorts kind of going about their daily lives in a way that is kind of much more wholesome or much less uh, destructive to other people than these men who are now on TV crowing about how like morally pure they are. I like that they're on TV, but no one's really paying attention to them. Yeah, that's also true. <laughs> it's like, you're, you're on TV, so you, I guess, you know, like, that's great. You are the establishment, but it doesn't mean that people are necessarily listening to you. And I feel like maybe at that point, Bong is not listening, you know, to figures in authority. Yeah, and it's sort of saying, like, why, why should I listen to them? If they're not practicing what they preach, then what's the point? Uh, cutting social satire it feels very you know like not all of Bong's films have that in but especially as Parasite his most recent film it feels really interesting to go from Parasite uh, back to incoherence and, and there's definitely themes yeah absolutely you can definitely link one to the other and I think that's the fun thing about all of his work where if you put like 
for instance, the premises of Parasite and Okja next to each other, I don't think you'd necessarily say that they're at all similar. But when you're watching the films, like the details that he chooses to focus on, the way that he chooses it to flesh out his characters, all of it has this connective tissue. Like as a filmmaker, it's just incredible that he's able to be so versatile with genre and tone while still having such a clear grasp on story and the ideas that he wants to get across. In terms of the filmmaking that we see in Incoherence, do you see sort of a similar visual style to what maybe we see in the features from from Bong Joon-ho? I think so. And I think it's also fun to watch this in relation to the two shorts that precede it because this feels like you definitely can feel that like the editing is a little smoother, the cuts are a little smoother, and he has while he still like is pretty experimental in this short space like with the shots and like the movement of the camera it's a little more deliberate or a little more in service of what's happening as opposed to being flashy and i think that carries through to his feature work like he has some really really fun and strange shots in all of his movies but none of them are taking you out of the story or and none of them are without some purpose in showing you what's going on yeah i feel like he's a very considerate filmmaker in that respect yeah absolutely you know like i feel like he's very aware of his surroundings whether that be you know the locations to people and, and and that carries through into like the edit as well we get these really interesting visual pieces uh from him but yeah like considering you know, he's a student when he's making this and it's so early in his career. I think this is such a bold piece of work. It really is. It's just really impressive. And it's almost unfair, like watching this and even his like very first short film where I was like, oh, my God, he's just always been really good. <laughs> <laughs> it is rare for shorts to get a physical release, but sometimes it happens. And I, I don't know, maybe it was because it was linked to a bigger project, but I did have the collection Tokyo, um, yeah. which has a, a, a short, a later short I honestly would recommend if any of you guys like are big bong heads, as it were, like definitely try to seek out his short work because it's similar to his feature work in that way in that all of them are pretty different and doing really different things, especially the short that you're talking about, which is called Shaking Tokyo um, and the one that comes before it called uh, Influenza. Like they're very, very different in tone and what he's doing. And Influenza, for instance, is done totally through CCTV footage. It's really, really wild. I think I have seen that one actually. That rings a that rings a bell. Um, <laughs> I think I think because I've been sort of obsessed with Bong, you know, at various stages yeah. around new releases, uh, like oh, I must I must seek things out and you know, picking up secondhand copies of films. Um, but that Tokyo DVD uh, set is a, is a treasured possession because it's totally out of print. I think the company who released it in the UK have long gone tartan releasing, sadly oh. no longer with us. Uh, I think they also maybe had Memories of Murder and it was such a small release. Mm. It was only more recently it was brought back and, and had a wider release uh, too. So it's kind of nice, like, even though these are old films uh, in terms of the Bong canon, uh, a lot of audiences, I think, post-Parasite have been able to see some of those older films. Yeah, it's really nice that like some of them are more accessible now because I feel like when I first started looking for them like two years ago, I was like, oh, this might be a little tough. <laughs> and his music videos, I think, are the toughest ones, were the toughest ones for me to find like because they really only existed in these really low-quality rips on YouTube. Um, but again, very, very lucky that a few of them did have like physical releases and thus did exist in a kind of high quality form especially you know, like in in film world post parasite 
you know so many more people know uh bong's name and his work and and it is good that you know we can go back and see his shorts because some filmmakers their early work is just lost or it is yeah. you know it's on a 16 millimeter reel in a library somewhere uh and we can't we can't see it yeah well there is actually one short that i just couldn't find and i don't know if it does exist anywhere like there was apparently a stop motion animated short that he did at this around the same time that he was making his first short film and it just doesn't exist anywhere it's just not it's just not uh, easy to find. And when when doing research for something like this, were you ever tempted to ask uh, Bong Joon-ho himself, can I see your short oh, uh, stop motion film? Now that you're saying that, I regret not doing it because we were very, very lucky to have the support of Duho Che, who um, is like Bong's longtime producer. He was very, very kind and in linking us with a lot of the people that we ended up interviewing, like the contact information came from him. Uh, he was also very, very gracious to... Uh, in like basically just sharing his time with us time and effort um and now i sort of regret not reaching out about the short films but i also like didn't want to impose on him too much because he was already doing so much work for us uh, that's absolutely fair enough i know that feeling uh too and hey you know it's something else for a, a follow-on chapter or, or or something maybe it can live <laughs> on <laughs> Bong Joon-ho, a very prolific filmmaker. Were you worried that he would make something new whilst you were writing? And <laughs> like that maybe it couldn't go in the book just due to print deadlines and those sorts of things. It was definitely something that we considered because I know it had happened with one of Adam Naiman's books where like a I think Mank had basically like come out as the book was coming out and you couldn't write about it like because it wasn't out yet. Um, but I was pretty lucky in that we had an idea of when this book was supposed to come out based on when they first contracted me to write it. Um, versus like what he had said post Parasite winning the Oscar to news outlets about what he was working on next. Um, so we kind of knew that we had a little bit of a buffer, luckily. Although I know they're, I, it feels like they're maybe in post or something on Mickey 7, but we'll see. Parasite is a nice natural end anyway, because you know, it wins the Oscar and, and so many more and it's it's so well received across the world. Yeah, I feel like that's sort of what I tried to get at in the outro where I was like, there's a lot more to come, but like this feels like a good point where it's like it's the most high profile he's ever been and kind of the biggest international splash that any of his movies have had. So it feels like a good reason to do it now. After sort of doing these shorts and, and finishing school, it, it was quite a few years before his first feature, Barking Dogs Never Bite. Do you know sort of what he was working on, what he was doing um, in those sort of six years, I think, before um, yeah, he Barking was still, Dogs? Um, my impression of it is that he was still working in the film industry, like he was working as an assistant director. Um, like, for instance, he met Song Gang-ho when he was an assistant director on the movie Motel Cactus. And this is a story that he's told now but already, but basically he song had just been in a movie where his performance as a gangster was so believable that people thought that that director had just hired a gangster off the street and bong was so struck by that performance that he asked song to come in sort of for an audition um even though he knew that they probably wouldn't be able to get him apart in that movie and then like as they were parting 
I think he left like a note on Song Gango's pager or like a voicemail or something basically saying like, thank you so much for meeting me. Like, I really hope that we get to work together one day. And that had enough of an effect on Song on Song Gang Ho that later when Bong was trying to make memories of murder and asked Song Gang Ho to be in the movie, it was kind of a given that he was going to be in it. He was like, absolutely, I'll be in this movie. Even though Bong's feature debut, which came right before Memories of Murder, uh, which was called Barking Dogs Never Bite, had been such a flop that Bong was kind of worried that he would not be able to work in the film industry ever again. Um, but that's a very long-winded answer, uh, a, a long-winded way of saying that, yeah, he was working, still working in the film industry, basically as an assistant director and working his way up to directing his feature. When you're looking through like lots of lists of dates and things, they don't often include, you know, sort of the other jobs that, you know, the many, many people yeah. who make films do. Um, so yeah. it's really interesting to you know, sort of hear about that, uh, you know, sort of part of his career. Yeah. And I I remember we talked to Chet Young, who's the sound editor on all of Bong's films so far. And I think he's the only person who has worked on every single one of Bong's movies. Um, and he also met Bong when they were both kind of starting out and when Bong was an assistant director. So it's it's funny to see how some of those relationships have persisted and the fact that it's like not just ungoogleable. <laughs> I mean, that's a good sign as well when you have these long term collaborators. It sort of says yeah, something about absolutely. the way he works and, you know, uh, and, and always a good sign, I think, um, if people are willing to, you know, come back and, and they're having these fruitful relationships. Yeah. If anything, the opposite is a red flag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else sort of on incoherence, which um, you, you, you want to talk about or anything that sort of stood out? Uh, to you whilst watching this film? I mean, I think it's... The structure really is kind of the most fun thing about the movie, which I think he said was sort of influenced by Pulp Fiction, which he had seen around the same time and found really, really impactful on him as a filmmaker. The fact that you have these disparate threads that end up winding together. Um, I think it's also fun to watch in how he stages action and how kind of careful he is about space as you sort of said before like in the scene where the professor's like running back up the stairs and it's a sort of an action chase sequence to get to the class to get to his office before the student does and then in the second chapter where the guy who pins the blame on this paper boy who is still jogging like on a jog now has to avoid him <laughs> and like <laughs> the, the like stingers whenever they sort of spot each other are really really funny um, but he just has such a great sense of space and sort of to that end, I would highly encourage anyone to seek out kind of the published versions of the storyboards that he's done for his feature films, which are some of which are out there because you can immediately tell just how crystal clear of a vision he has even before anything starts shooting. Like he really, he really knows what he's doing. It's wild. Definitely seen some Parasite storyboards, maybe not in a book, but sort of released online. And um, yeah, it's it's incredible what's sort of on the page and how close it is to what we see in the film. Yeah, like it's almost unbelievable because he also like includes like the camera motions and the delineations of like how he wants to pan and what how to like stage a thing. Like I remember when I was like, at the parasite storyboards the scene that really stood out to me was the bit where the main family has gotten caught by the housekeeper and there's this really impressive shot where the family's going is rushing at the camera and knocks a person over and he has a diagram for how he wants to stage that like in the storyboards if you are listening to this podcast and you've just watched incoherence but you haven't seen a bong feature where would you recommend someone go next um, I feel like this is a very basic take at this point, but honestly, I do recommend The Host as a place to start. Like, I think it is kind of the biggest crowd pleaser of his work or kind of the easiest to digest. Um, 
if you are willing to, if you're maybe more of a, uh, like a Zodiac fan, then start with Memories of Murder. But those two, I think, are maybe the most accessible. Um, the, the fun thing about kind of revisiting these movies for this book has been seeing like how Korean they are, for lack of a better descriptor. Like both of those, you can take pretty surface value, but there's also so much else that he's worked into the movie to talk about the state of Korean history, like either at the period, which in, in the case of Memories of Murder or kind of in the contemporary time in the case of the host. So they're very, very rich texts. Um, but I think the host is the one I would recommend. Join the uh, first Bong movie was the host club. I'm so glad that we have been able to talk about, you know, one of the best, uh, you know, working directors today um, mm -hmm. on the show. And, and also it's so nice to actually talk about um, someone's shorts. Um, often on the show, people like to choose a short feature, which there's no problem with doing that. Big fan of them. But um, but yeah. rarely does someone actually sort of think, actually, I'm going to choose a short. And, and it's so nice to sort of give shorts a space because they don't often get discussed in you know sort of a critical capacity that's true yeah it was a total delight talking about this with you because again yeah mostly you're talking about the feature works these the shorts do not get as much time in the sun championing the little guys <laughs> <laughs> now as as part of our film festival you don't realize this but you've also just agreed to be one of our guest curators um oh, amazing. To this. and uh, what an honor as as part of that you'll need to decide where you'd like to screen this movie if i could give you a print of the film and kind of a blank check uh, to put on a screening, uh, where would you where would you like to present it? Oh, that is a really good question. Um, I if I could make like a really swanky like outdoor screening, I would love to do that on the banks of the Han River because the, there's a place where they have like a statue of the monster of the host, and I feel like that would be a very funny place to screen the movie. But I also feel like it's nice to screen it outside because all of these shorts kind of m happen at least half outside. Or all of the chapters of Incoherence, rather. I didn't realize they'd made a statue for the host. It's wild. Some people really were opposed to it because it's not like it's a cute monster. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I do think outdoor cinema is also quite, uh, it's, it's a treat. You know, it's, it's a proper event. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's a, that's a fun thing to do. Uh, also, you know, watching a movie, um, cinema snacks are, are a big part of that. Have you got a, you know, sort of a preference, um, you know, food and drink wise that you'd like to serve alongside Incoherence? Ooh. Well, what I will say is one of the nice things about hanging out on the banks of the Han River is that Korea's delivery food, cult food delivery culture is like so on point. Like you can just have fried chicken and beer, chimek, just delivered to you by the riverside. And I think I would just cater it that way. Oh, that sounds great. That's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you could invite a special guest uh, along, maybe for uh, an intro or a post-film Q&A, if you had a dream invite to uh, talk about Incoherence. Wow. Um, well, I think, I, I mean, I would love to have Bong there, but in the event that he would not be able to come, I think the person that I would invite is... Um, Oh, shoot. I'm forgetting the actor's name. Oh, uh, Kim Roy Ha, because he he's the actor in the third short who or the third chapter who's playing the drunk. But he is in several of Bong's features and is actually the actor in Bong's very first short. So he has a, a history with him. It's really nice to hear from collaborators and, you know, like someone involved in, in making the film that's maybe not the director because often the director is invited to do Q&As and things. So it's always nice to mix it up a bit. Yeah, it's also funny because the to star in Bong's first short film, the Bong actually ran out of money while making it and so gave 
I believe, gave him a voucher to buy a suit that his father had given him, I think. And so Kimura just got this suit voucher instead <laughs> of getting money um, to be in the short. Oh, that's uh, again sort of shows that he he was invested in the process and got yeah, a nice got yeah. a nice suit out of it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for talking to us today, Karen, and and thank you for being so generous with your time uh, there. Also, I mean, the book is beautiful. I've I've sort of read a digital version of it, but I can't wait to pick up a physical copy myself. Bong Joon Ho, uh, Dissident Cinema, and uh, and and it's out now. So so go to your favorite bookseller, guys, and and pick up a copy. Thank you so much for having me on. This was so much fun to chat with you about Bong's work. Thank you so much, Karen, and um and yeah, look forward to uh, to to seeing what you're working on next. Um, have you well, got another you so sort of book in mind, or are you gonna take a break from books? I have no clue <laughs> <laughs> what my next book would be. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'll, maybe I'll start thinking about it once this is out in the world. But until then, I'm content to have this be the one basket that all my eggs are in. <laughs> I think that's a nice thing to do. Hey, it's just, uh, you know, a lot of work's gone into it. Years of work. So just time mm-hmm. to have a break. Exactly. Exactly. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends. Every recommendation helps. You can contact us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. It's edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. Thank you.